It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. Today's guest is Bob Glober, who covers the NFL for Newsday. But first, I want to remind you that you can find the Giants huddle podcast on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms, along with all the other shows on the Giants podcast network, which is presented by Investors Bank. And now we're joined by our guest. He is Bob Glober. He is the NFL reporter for Newsday, also a Hall of Fame voter. We'll touch on that a little bit later on in the program. But first, we'll touch on some more current stuff in terms of the NFL and the New York football giants. Bob, it's good to talk to you, my friend. A very, very belated Happy New Year. Uh, We have about a week since our last football game now, and we got a long way until our next one. How are you? I'm good, John. Happy New Year to you, and I think this will be our last, latest Happy New Year greeting. Um, I think we got it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and honestly, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I regretted it, um, which okay. is fine. <laughs> I, I, John, I've gone as far as March, I, you know, if I haven't spoken to somebody, so you're good. We're still in the middle. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Bob, first things first, obviously you're, you're covering the NFL for Newsday. What else do you have going on right now? Um, well, all is well. You know, of course, got the book Guts and Genius, um, still Still very pumped about that story about Bill Parcells, Joe Gibbs, and, and Bill Walsh. What a great time the 80s were. And I, I still see, you know, today's football, you still see offshoots of what was going on then, and then it's the coolest thing. You see it up to and including the Super Bowl. So, uh, otherwise, just trucking along, Johnny, like everybody else. So, you know, I guess we'll start here then. And I think this is kind of a generic question, Bob. Did you take anything out of the Super Bowl that makes you think about team building, how you go about getting a Super Bowl a little bit differently than maybe before you watched that game or the you know last six weeks of playoff football in general? Well, I would say two lessons, John. One, don't get your offensive tackles hurt <laughs> during the season. Okay? I mean, Kansas City, uh, God love Andy Reid. He just he, he did his best to – try to mask that deficiency, and it, and it didn't happen. I will say, though, I thought the Chiefs were going to get it done, and I thought they could have gotten it done if they had played like the Giants against the Buffalo Bills back in 90 in Tampa. Get boring. Get small. Go dink and dunk. But he didn't do that, and I think it was a fatal mistake in that. The other thing about team building, John, is you know, the Bucks did it differently. The Bucks had the dream team. And if you remember back in 2011, the Eagles tried that. They had the dream team, and they flopped. And the Giants, who had signed one free agent, a punter, uh, won the Super Bowl that year. So I think you can do things a little differently in the NFL. You can build quicker, um, especially if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback to center things around. Yes, but still, even so. And then, he, you know, Brady did it. Brady was the guy, right? But they still built very quickly. Now, they had a lot of pieces there for Brady, but, you know, you bring in Gronk, you bring in Antonio Brown, bring in a couple of defensive players, and and voila, you've got a Super Bowl title. Of course it revolves around Brady. But I still think now teams are being aggressive, John, and you look at the Los Angeles Rams, I think they're doing their best imitation of this year's 2020 bucks. Yeah, the difference is that the Rams won't have any first-round picks available to draft guys yeah. like Vita Vey and Mike Evans, like the yeah, Bucks did, which is yeah, a little bit of a true. difference. But yeah, or or Tristan Worse, by the way, who's mm-hmm. one heck of an offensive lineman. All right, so I think this is a good way to take it now. As we head into this offseason now, Bob, and obviously all the talk is about the quarterbacks. Now all of a sudden. You know, Russell Wilson's name's getting thrown around. The reports from Tom Pelissero and Mike Garofolo said there's nothing imminent and he's not demanding a trade. But now his name's being mentioned. We've heard Derek Carr's name whispered here or there. Obviously, the, the, the Deshaun Watson thing. Carson Wentz's name is out there. You got the quarterbacks in the draft. Do those dominoes, do you think, have to fall first? And when do you think they're going to start to fall before we start getting some other movement once free agency begins? Yeah, I think that's a fair read that those dominoes fall first because the quarterback position is the most important on any team. Um, throw in Sam Darnold into that mix, and I think you're going to see an offseason unlike any we have ever seen before in terms of quarterback movement. But John, there hasn't been anything like it. 
and it's going to be crazy. I expect uh, Deshaun Watson to be traded. I think he's the main domino. He's the best quarterback that is, you know, theoretically available. Russell Wilson, I think that's, you know, a little bit of a spat there. I, I, I don't think he'll be traded, but but you never say never with these things, John. I, I learned learned a valuable lesson with the Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones situation from, I don't know, what was it, 20 years ago almost? You, you know what? If you, if you don't get, you're not stuck with each other. Something is going to happen. So you, you put that on the quarterback situation. No one's ever stuck with a quarterback. And you saw that with Carson Wentz. You know, you say, oh, you can't, you can't possibly dump this guy. Too much salary cap proration in there. You can't do it. Well, they're, they're going to do it. <laughs> so that's the lesson in, in pro football. You're never locked in, and there's going to be a lot of movement. And I think it's going to be it's going to be a crazy ride. I don't want to spend too much time in the quarterbacks, but one guy I didn't mention, and it's in the Giants division, so I should, I suppose. Who Daniel Jones? Well, no, no, that that, that actually that actually was not the guy I was going to mention, but it's a good point. Washington's probably looking for a quarterback, but the yep. one team in the division that I think probably feels most secure about their quarterback in terms of the quality of play are the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. Yet. He's a guy that's probably going to get the franchise tag thrown on him again. At what point, Bob, do you think Dallas might sit there and say, you know what, if we can't figure this out now, we're better off maybe even moving him and getting something back for him rather than letting him walk away for nothing next year? How do you think Dallas goes about handling the Dak Prescott situation? Well, if Dallas doesn't make a good-faith attempt to sign Dak Prescott forever, then shame on them. Because Jerry Jones made the mistake two years ago of not extending his contract. Could have done it, should have done it then. Wouldn't have had this problem now. Now, the understanding is, right, that Dak wants the shorter contract, right, and the Cowboys want to give him a little bit of a longer one, and, and, uh, and that yeah. seems to be what separates them right now? Yes and no. But that's been the argument for almost two years, John. Right. And it's not getting any closer. So, look, they can sign him to a long-term deal. You know, Patrick Mahomes signed... I don't know how, how long the deal was. Uh, ten years, I believe. Five hundred million. Yeah, ten years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, five hundred million will get it done. All right. Everyone has a price, and including Dak Prescott. So they have to try to corner Dak Prescott and keep him long term. I think they saw his value. I don't think a player ever improved his value by not playing more than Dak Prescott did last year. They just saw what what happened without him. So I, I anticipate that they will try to keep him. Um, but again, same example with Dallas. You, you just never say never. And it's a, it's, it's a crazy league. And I think they're going to – Jerry's a wheeler dealer. And I think he'll be prepared to wheel and deal if he feels he has to. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. All right, Bob, let's focus in on the Giants then. What do you think their general approach is going to be this offseason? Uh, we don't know exactly where the salary cap's going to wind up, and I guess that's probably a good place to start. We've heard anywhere from 175 to 185. I know you obviously were listening during the Super Bowl. Robert Goodell had his press conference and everything like that. Before we get into details, where do you think this cap's going to wind up and how that's going to impact how teams handle free agency this year? I think it'll end up, you know, as we speak today, roughly around 180. But here, here's the wild card in this thing, is the television contracts. If they can get those television contracts done before the start of the league year, and I know that will, there, will be, there will be a push to do that, I think the cap can go up to a much more normal and palatable level where teams don't have to look to cut back potentially significantly. Mm. So that's, that's what you've got to keep an eye out for. These are going to be megabucks contracts for TV and digital and everything, and the NFL is still worth a fortune. So just just hope that, you know, if you're in that kind of position where you need to spend some money, that, that they come up with that contract uh, to, to boost it closer to $200 million. So then as the Giants approaches them and other teams approach this, Bob, is this going to be a deal, do you think, 
where the top guys on the market still get paid, but it's those second, third, and, and fourth tier guys that really feel the squeeze? Yes, and that's the way it's been <laughs> forever um, in, in the NFL, especially since the start of free agency in 1993 uh, when this system came into being. You had one year of unrestricted free agency with no cap in 93, and then ever since there's been a cap, and I suspect that that will be the case moving forward. Limited, you know, limited uh, assets, so the top players are going to get the money. And, the, you know, the bottom and middle class players will, will get, they're not going to get shut out, but they're going to get less. So we always see a run on premier players. We will see that again this year. And how much teams have left over is basically up to good budgeting over time, and that includes last year, and that includes planning for for the future. And now we look at where the Giants are at, and you know, depending on what they do with certain players on their roster, they can create more space, obviously, Bob. But they have two very important players, among others, we can get into other guys too, on their defense that are hitting unrestricted free agency. Dalvin Tomlinson coming off his rookie contract, who's been as solid as a player as there is in the league his first four years. There was He was their man of the year nominee this year in, uh, for the Man of the Year Award. And then you have Leonard Williams, who's coming off his first ever double-digit sack year or career season, coming off the franchise tag last year. And you see defensive tackles at the top of the market, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, basically $20, 21000000 million a year. So how do you think the Giants approach Williams and Tomlinson as they try to navigate this very unique 2021 offseason? Try to keep both, probably end up keeping one. I would expect that Leonard Williams would be the one. You pay for talent. Leonard Williams has got more talent than Dalvin uh, Tomlinson, and you you go with the guy who can get to the quarterback, and, and that is Leonard Williams. I, I'm sure they're going to try to keep both, but you know the market is is the market, and and you just can't keep everybody. Um, they, they've had this before along the defensive line, you know, in free agency, where they can't keep everybody, um, and I think you'll see that again. So. If I'm the Giants, uh, Leonard Williams is my top priority. And then try to get Dalvin Williamson if, if you possibly can. And then we've talked a lot about in terms of uh, both John Mara and Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. It was basically up and down the line. They were all very consistent in terms of how they wanted to help improve the team this year, and that was to add a weapon on offense. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're going to be able to find the necessary cap space to be able to sign one of these big names in free agency. And again, we don't know which one of these guys are going to get franchised, which guys are going to be available. I'll just throw out some names so the fans know the type of guys I'm talking about. Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis, T.Y. Hilton. There's a nice little list of guys that are potentially going to be unrestricted free agents. But as you know, Bob, really good wide receivers get paid. Those guys don't generally have to take bargain basement contracts here. And a lot of these guys are going to get franchised too. So do you see the Giants trying to approach that wide receiver position through free agency? Or is that going to be something that maybe they attack through the draft? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it'll try both, John, um, because they clearly have needs of the position. The draft is going to be the easiest, cheapest, and... Um, most palatable route, and there will be um, good value uh, when the Giants pick early in the first round. So I, I think they'll do that first and foremost. I think they'll also have room to try to go out of the free agent market, but go on the lower end of the top tier, right? You're not going to get Juju Smith-Schuster. Teams are going to outbid them you know, for, for that. Allen Robinson is going to come at a premium. But Godwin is a guy, you know, interesting um, name there. T.Y. Hilton, I suspect, is going to go, you know, I think the Colts are going to make a, a, a good faith run at him. Um, but, you know, a guy like Godwin, you know, Galladay is, a, is an up-and-coming player, clearly, but maybe won't command the kind of contract that is prohibitive for a team with limited resources. So I say yes, because I think they'll try to go both routes, but you know, I suspect that they're going to try to hit a home run in the draft at receiver right off the bat. How much, Bob, do you think teams are starting to see this endless stream of wide receivers coming out of college and are sitting there thinking, why am I going to go out there and pay a wide receiver premium money when I know every year, not just in the first round, by the way, in the second round, I'm going to be able to find a darn good young receiver that's going to be on a rookie contract for me for four or five years in the draft. Yep. John, are you, are you a, looking for a general manager job? Because 
because that kind of thinking is prudent and it's proper and it's and it's accurate. What you're seeing, you're seeing much more of a melding of the college game and the NFL game, more so than I think at any time since I've been covering it. I mean, it was such a stark difference between college and, and the pros um, going back in the day. But, you know, with passing offenses going crazy in college, now you're seeing that in the NFL, and you're going to continue to see that. Well, what's the, the byproduct is in college, there's so much passing offense, there's so much of a chance of receivers just, you know, coming out of nowhere and you pick the right ones you develop that receiver on a rookie contract and you're going to be well well ahead of the game and i I think that the giants and every team has got to be looking at that and saying you know that is the proper way to go that said there's still going to be teams that look for a premium receiver like i think the jets will be very aggressive on the open market they got a ton of cap space they might get deshaun watson um, Allen Robinson has already hinted that he'd go play with Deshaun Watson, so I, I think you'll you'll see that aggressiveness. And and if that's the case, then the Giants they, they got too many other needs, and they got a you know a high first round pick. You can, you can have your receiver and maybe load up at receiver. You know you got Slayton in the fifth round, so you know there are ways to get receivers and not have to pay a fortune um, and still be responsible because. Quite frankly, you know, we talked about the defensive tackles. That's that's where that money's got to go first, and, and you got to get that squared away before you go after a wide receiver on the free agent market. Heading into the, his third year, how important do you think it is to get as much talent around Daniel Jones as possible so you can get a really good read on exactly where his career and the trajectory of his career is heading? Huge, John. Third year... I mean, and that still applies. It's always been the, okay, in, th- in year three, that's where you really judge an NFL player. And so Daniel Jones is here, and we saw we saw a legitimate improvement as the season went on, in particular with the turnover problem. It, it got better, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. huge. Can't, can't deny that. But you've got to start to get explosive again now. You can't, you can't do ground and pound in this league. It just doesn't work. You cannot live on good defense and a conservative offense. Can't do it. So they got to figure out the formula to get Daniel Jones from the promise that he showed as a rookie, take away the turnovers, but you know he threw touchdowns. I think he had, what, 24 touchdowns as a rookie? That's, that's good stuff. But then, you know, you, you cut that in half in the second year, and like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, injuries, but, you know, the, you you got you to gotta take care of that. And the way to do that is to surround him. Now, Saquon Barkley being back is going to be huge. You know, I, I think we probably overlooked that a little bit last year in Daniel Jones' struggle, but you, you take away your best playmaker, this is going to be a problem. And if you can add Saquon Barkley, you can add one or two big-time wide receivers, make Slayton back into that you know second or third guy where he can thrive so much. He's not a number one. He's a terrific talent. Sterling Shepard, I, I assume, and I hope they'll keep him because I think he's a terrific player. Um, and you can have a legitimate core of, of wide receivers. Now, tight end, I don't know that Ingram is going to be back. Um, I think they need to upgrade that position, get it more reliable. No question about that. But if you can surround Daniel Jones uh, with much more viable weapons, then, yes, you're going to get a proper read on him. And hopefully that read, for the Giants' sake, will be a good one. Do you care about a big wide receiver? You know, Because right now, Bob, you know, Slayton's, he's there quote-unquote big wide receiver of the guys that play all the time, but he's only, what, 6'1", give or take. You know, Shepard's 5'11", Golden Tate, and we don't know if he's going to be back. He's under 6 feet tall. So do you care about getting that big, plexical, burris wide receiver, or are you we at the point now within the league where just get me a guy that's fast and can separate, and I'm not really that concerned about the, the size and the wingspan anymore? Well, I think it's always good if you can get that big, tall, wide receiver, you know, a really big, tall, strong guy is going in the Hall of Fame this year, and that's Calvin Johnson. So everyone would love a Calvin Johnson. They, they just uh, just aren't made, not enough of them. So I think size is absolutely good at wide receiver, but it's not, you know, in this passing offense, in this, you know, modern NFL, I think you can get away with not having, not, you know, not being locked into getting a, a Plaxico Burris or, or a Calvin Johnson or someone of that you know, talent and size and speed. You want to have it, but, you know, there's only so many of those guys to go around. 
And, you know, Julio Jones got to a Super Bowl, didn't win a Super Bowl, and he's been a big-time talent. So it's not, it's not just having that big guy. It's having the other pieces around that big guy, a quarterback, you know, offensive line, and, you know, just a rounded team. Um, and it's, it's part of the equation. But, sure, if I can get a big receiver, I'll, I'll take him. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. And Giant fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member. FDIC. We're joined by Bob Glaber, NFL reporter for Newsday. Bob, you know, we talk about the weapons around Daniel Jones. How about the protection? The Giants allowed, I believe, the highest pressure rate this year, second to only the New York Jets, the other team that plays in MetLife Stadium. How confident are you in the young pieces the Giants have added to that line to develop this year, um, I'm being specific, into a pretty solid starting unit? Or are you of the mind where, no, you have to look maybe in this draft to improve the unit. Maybe you have to look in free agency to continue to improve this unit. How do you view the offensive line right now? You know, I would say, John, that the offensive line is a work in progress. There were some positive signs. I think Andrew Thomas came a long way from from the start. Um, You know, Shane Lemieux showed some things as a rookie guard competing with Will Hernandez. Gates, I think, got a lot better as a center. I don't, you know, is is Zeitler going to be back? There's speculation that perhaps he's not. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a work in progress. It's got to get better. And I think you saw with the, uh, the Colombo situation, you know, that this is a real priority for Joe Judge to get it right. He knows what he's seeing. The guy knows offensive line play, and he knows it's got to get better. So promising... But I think if you have the chance, and, you know, there are guards and, and some tackles um, that you can get in the second, third, fourth, fifth round and develop them. And it's just, it, it happens over, over time, over history, and you've got to be able to do that and, and develop that. So um, I, I think if there is a chance to build the depth around the offensive line, they absolutely have to do it. This is not close to... Uh, an elite line, and it's got to get closer to that um, standing. If if Daniel Jones is going to keep standing and getting some time, that guy was under duress way, way too much, and it's it's no way to run an offense. Well, and I think that's I think that's a a good question to ask them, Bob. Do you think the Giants were almost forced into their kind of ground and pound conservative offensive approach, run the ball a lot? simply based on the performance of the line and, as we talked about, you know, the lack of that true number one outside receiver. And, of course, Saquon Barkley's injury, too, has probably something to do with that. Were they forced into that approach? Do you think they would prefer to try to open things up a little bit if the talent on the field would allow them to? Oh, I don't think there's any question, John. That You know, offense in today's NFL is open, and the Giants were the outlier. Yeah. By having the ground and pound, they were that is not normal in today's NFL. All right, maybe maybe in Rex Ryan's Jets era, it works not now. So yes, they ha- they absolutely were forced into that. Now, fortunately, they were competitive because Patrick Graham's defense did a good enough job to keep them in games, and they could play that. Sometimes you're just like at at if you didn't have a good defense, you're at a other team's mercy, and you got no shot. They had a shot. And they stayed in the division, a you know, admittedly bad division, the whole way because the defense allowed them to be conservative on offense. But just it's just no way to make a living. And Joe Judge, I'm sure, when he gets the right pieces around his team offensively, you are going to see. Uh, I can't wait. If, I hope that day happens because I think he's going to be an aggressive coach, and he is gonna he's going to be fun to watch. That team's going to be fun to watch. But for for now. He, he he was locked into the way he, you know, coached. And I remember Tom Coughlin, toward the latter years of his uh, career with the Giants, remember he had terrible defenses, right? It was just brutal. And he'd take so many more chances on offense, especially on fourth downs, 
often fail. Yeah. But he said, you know, I, I had to coach that way because I can't count on the defense. And that's that's how, you know, you have to adapt your coaching. You have to adapt to your personnel. And that's why when you have a really good team, you can take more chances. And you'll see Joe Judge do that, assuming that, you know, the talent improves on both sides of the ball, particularly on offense. And you mentioned how the defense carried them through this year. And when they had their little winning streak in the middle of the year, it was really their defense, Bob, that carried them through that. Your thoughts on kind of where that defense is, is that something where you can continue to see some improvement? Do you think in order to get improvement, they need, you know, more talent, better players? Uh, Just your overall thoughts on where the defense is and where they're headed and how the Giants should handle continued development on that side of the ball. John, I think the defense is in pretty good shape. Um, You know, Blake Martinez was a really good free agent signing. So was Bradbury. Um, If you can keep Leonard Williams and or Dalvin Tomlinson, again, I lean lean keeping Williams. You know, you've got some things, you've got some talent to work with there, but you you always have to, you always have to keep trying to get better. Um, And I think the acquisitions um, were good. And, you know, Dave Gettleman had a good year in free agency, especially on the defense, and that helped that team immeasurably. And but you got to you got to just keep grinding. You got to keep finding you know ways. You didn't get Chase Young, so you know you got you got to try to you know manufacture a pass rush now. If you can get that pass rusher, um, again I think I think receiver takes priority early in the draft this year. But you know if you can improve that pass rush. <laughs> You know, as as everyone knows, watching Lawrence Taylor, you're you're certainly going to be closer to a championship when you got a guy like that. Yeah, and the difference, Bob. I think we talked about how there's so many receivers available now in the draft. That has not been the case for pass rushers. Even though more college teams are passing, 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 we aren't seeing this influx of guys that all know how to rush the passer off the edge. That's as scarce of a position as it's always been. Where trying to find that guy that can win off the edge one on one consistently just Proves to be, in the draft, very difficult. There's just not many of them. And in free agency, very, very cost prohibitive. Yeah, and that's why Leonard Williams becomes such a priority. Yeah. Because you've got a guy who can get to the, to the passer. He does it more from the interior, which is actually, you know, a benefit. Because, you know, it's a straighter line to the quarterback from inside than it is from outside. So, yeah, you're, you're right. It, that position has been kind of... Um, Getting it's getting scarce where you could find a pass rusher. Now, if you think the Giants have a bad, the the Jets haven't had a legitimate <laughs> pass rusher since Sean Ellis, and he was drafted in two thousand. Oh, wow. So there's a drought there for you, my man. <laughs> That's, you know. It's uh, it's really slim pickings for for a lot of teams, and uh, but that's you know you just have to be able to get uh, some kind of pass rush, manufacture it if you have to, but try to get that formula. You saw it in the Super Bowl uh, with JPP and Shaq Barrett. They were able to get their linebackers free, and, and Patrick Mahomes didn't have a chance against that defense. And that's the way Steve Spagnuolo played it in the 2007 Super Bowl against the previously unbeaten Patriots. He got a four-man rush, and you're so much better off that way. But, you know, not every – you can't always find a great pass rusher who is going to be a down lineman. Uh, you know, now you, you try to get the edge, but they're they're just not out there. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Very difficult. And the way we talked, Bob, and we're talking to Bob Glauber from Newsday, about how maybe the Giants had to be a little bit conservative on offense because of their talent, I would love to see Patrick Graham be able to get a little bit more creative on defense. And I think if they can figure out a way to add a, a second or maybe even a, a, you know, a third, you can never have enough of them, really good cover corner that you can trust to cover man-on-man across from James Bradbury. I think that could really open things up for Patrick Graham. Well, last year he did a lot of stuff with zones and he was creative with the skies and all that stuff. But if he's able to mix in some more, you know, cover one man-to-man, if he can trust his DBs to cover one-on-one, I think that could take this defense potentially up to another level too. Yep, there's no question. When you have a better um, operation on the back end, you can take more chances and you can and you can even you know send more blitzers you know um, Logan Ryan if if you want to um, uh, any any number of you know linebackers or you can get more exotic and and surely Patrick Graham has seen Bill Belichick um, come up with blitzes 
when he's got good personnel, and he's learned a ton from from the master. That zone man combo coverage, um, it's a staple now of Bill Belichick's defense, and now it's a staple of Patrick Graham. And, and you saw a lot of that last year. But you know, trying to get the pass rush, you know, it's a, it's it's a tough thing. But it, uh, the, their pass rush this past year was was much better than it had been. So, and and Leonard Williams is is one of the big reasons for that. Hundred percent. Last question specifically in the Giants, then I want to get into the Hall of Fame stuff, Bob, and we're joined by Bob Glober. Generically, you know, you follow not just the New York teams, Bob, you cover the whole league. When you look at the Giants' base of talent, where they are in their team building, their coaching staff, the whole package, where are they in their development? How far away are they from... You know, winning a division, and I'm not talking about going 7-9 and and winning a division. I'm talking about winning 10 games and winning a division and, you know, maybe winning a playoff game. Where do you see them in that progression based on what you see from other teams around the league? You know, that's a good question, John. I would say they're fairly close. Um, they're They're not like light years away from competing. And you saw they were they were competitive at games against good teams, and that's a really good sign. So I don't think it's too far away. Got to get the offensive line better. Got to get targets, and got to get the pass rush. So yeah, you know, look, easier said than done. But <laughs> yeah, and uh, really, I mean, the, no, it, it is. It, those are not, like those are three premium positions, right? <laughs> yes, yes. You, you know, those are three premium places you got to improve your team. But I think that. One of the things Joe Judge provided this year's team is belief, uh, belief that you can compete, belief that you can win, and that was big, and that will carry that team a long way. They, they sniffed it this year. They, they got a taste of it. That win in Seattle was potentially a franchise-changing moment. Now, it didn't pan out because they kind of slumped after it. They didn't follow up enough. Um, but you know, they'll, they'll taste it again. And when you can be competitive with the best teams in the league, you know you have a chance, you start believing, you get some more personnel, and you improve it. So I, I think they're, they're closer than a 6-10 and 10 record would suggest. And we've seen countless examples, John, of teams that go from worst to first. I think for, believe for the last 20 years, there has been one team that has gone from, from last place to first, you know, to the playoffs. And that's indicative of a league that you always have a chance and you just if you build smart and you got a quarterback and you got a coach you're you're in good shape well we'll i think they got the coach we don't know if they have the quarterback um and they've got a roster that is certainly more competitive than they have been in, in the last couple of years all right let's talk about the hall of fame vote bob i want to look into the future a little bit in terms of maybe a couple of giant names in a second but i thought this year's class was fantastic First of all, how different was the process? I know usually you guys kind of all try to get in a room together right at the Super Bowl and right. do this in person. So how different was it this year, I imagine, having to do everything virtually? Yeah, it was different. I mean, we took a Tuesday a couple of weeks before uh, the announcements were made. I found it to be, you know, easier in a way because, you know, you could you could think a little bit more. And it wasn't, you know, you're physically, you know, in a, in a, in a better spot even though it's virtual, and I, I thought it went really well. I think the conversations are always really good, intense, um, educational, and, you know, we got Tony Dungy in there this year, and it was his first year. I loved watching him um, go through the dynamics of, uh, you know, how to vote. John, when you get 15 finalists, and even those 15 finalists comes from a huge pool of really great, deserving players, you get 15, and you, you can only put five in. So the math is terrible, right? You're going to get 10 players that should be Hall of Famers that aren't going to be Hall of Famers, and it's a really hard process, fascinating process, and I've seen over years, now this was my 11th year doing it, um, and I see these log jams break, and it's fascinating to watch. We had maybe seven years ago, there was three, three receivers, Tim Brown, Chris Carter, um, and Andre Reed, they couldn't get in. They they just kept canceling each other out. So so one year, it's like, okay, we we've got to end this log jam. We we have to do it. So then first it was Carter, then it was Tim Brown, then Andre Reed. It goes through. This past last couple of years, it was the offensive line. 
Kevin Mawai. He goes through, it, you know, Steve Hutchinson last year um, and Alan Fanica this year. So that log jam is breaking. Still Tony Baselli, he'll get in, um, but he hasn't gotten in just yet. Longevity is an issue there. So, so these log jams do um, sort themselves out. Fascinating process. John Lynch got, got through this year. I think it was his ninth or tenth time as a finalist. Um, and, they, and they all seem to work themselves out. Sometimes, though, John, you know, you get a Clay Matthews. That was year 20 of eligibility as a modern-day finalist, and he didn't get in, so he goes into the seniors' pool. And there's only, only one senior per year that gets in. I'd like to see two or three get in. I think you have to open that up a little bit more because you get on that line, man, you're going to wait a long, long time. Yeah, and I know Carl Banks was involved in that conversation a couple years ago too, right? Yes, yep. Carl Banks, you know, Carl, I believe, was a semifinalist last year. Yes, I believe so. Right? Um, but, you know, th- that's where it gets it gets tricky and it gets dicey, and you wait a long time. You know, Joe Klecko made a Pro Bowl or All-Pro at three different positions with the Jets, and he's now a senior. So I, I don't know when his time will come, if, if ever. So, you know, we put the seniors, was uh, Drew Pearson was the senior this year, and he retired a long time ago. Um, it just it just happens. We've had seniors put in from like the 1950s, and that's how that's how far back that is. So it it, it is a it is problematic if you don't get in that that 20 year stretch, uh, you know, from from your last year of retirement. You mentioned the logjam, Bob. Who are the guys right now that are right at the precipice of that logjam that you think are ready to pop through? Well, I mentioned uh, Tony Baselli before. I think he'll he'll get through. Leroy Butler, the safety for the Packers. Now he remains, I think, the only first team All Decade player who is not in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. from uh, you know like the what did he make it in the nineties. <clears throat> so he he I think he'll get through at some point. Um, and you, and you look at the other finalists. Richard Seymour is a guy who keeps coming close, uh, but doesn't get in. I think he is a Hall of Fame talent. Um, former Patriots defensive lineman. He, you know, he was very selfless in that defense. And but talk to Bill Belichick, and that guy was indispensable to championship teams. So those those are a couple of names that I think will get in pretty soon. And you mentioned Leroy Butler, and the only reason this other name popped to, to mind right away, I think he was a semifinalist. Darren Woodson's another safety from the '90s too, right? That's gotten consideration. You know, Woodson didn't get to the finals this year, so. I, I fear for him a little bit. I think he is on a par with uh, Leroy Butler, and I know Bill Parcells coached Darren Woodson in Dallas, loves him, swears by him, and thinks he should be a Hall of Famer ahead of perhaps some guys who, who are in now. You know, Atwater got in. Now, Atwater waited a long time, yeah, former Denver Bronco. He got in last year. So that's how this, this thing goes. It's, um, it's a slow process, but everybody who gets in, is is you know is rewarded and certainly deserving of getting in. Will Shields was a guy who waited a long time. The former uh, Kansas City guard, um, I think he went like eight or nine years, and he was a perfect candidate. But you know it, it does take time. So Harry Carson, another guy right Harry, there. Harry a long Carson, time. sure. Took Harry. <laughs> Harry quit the process <laughs> or tried to one year, and I, I'm like Harry, what are you doing? He goes, ah, I've had it. So okay. Um, but, you know, he got in the next year. I think that, that probably helped his cause because people saw the frustration. But, but that's, that's how it goes, John. Unless you are Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, uh, Dan Marino, John Elway, Joe Montana, you know, unless you are a guy who you just, there's just no question, it, it does take some time. Now, Calvin Washington got in on the first go-round. He is a Hall of Fame player. You could have argued that, well, you know, nine years, uh, other guys waiting, um, Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne didn't get in. Um, so there are arguments to be made, and, and the, the percentage of first ballot Hall of Famers, move, you know, in recent times is very high. So what that means is that, you know, the guys who are on the periphery a little bit, they keep getting set back. Right. And that's where, you know, we as voters, you know, we struggle. Because we know that if we vote for a guy in the first ballot, someone who has you know, been waiting a while is going to have to wait longer, and that becomes a problem. Just a couple more, Bob. I have to speak up for one of my cohorts over here. 
Can we get another punter in the Hall of Fame? How about Jeff Fiegels, baby? How close is he? What What do we need to do, Bob, to grease the wheels for Feegs? Talk to me. Well, <laughs> you know, Feegs gets gets a lot of love in the early rounds of it. Um, you, you can you can go back. Can I can I go back further for a punter? Go ahead. Can can, can you can you talk about Sean Landetta? <laughs> and only I, you after know, you talk about Jeff Fiegels. Sorry. Okay. Now. <laughs> Both of them, but you know, Jeff will tell you that Landetta. I mean, he, he both of them are, are certainly deserving of it. Like Steve Tasker as well, another special teamer. Um, kickers, you know, Morton Anderson got in. That was a big deal. It took him a while to get through. Um, it's harder for special teamers because they're going against regular, you know, starting offensive and defensive players, and the not, you know, the nod is always going to go to more of a full-time player it's not, it's not a knock on, on a punter or a kicker it's just it just is and that's why when i talked before about you got 15 finalists and five spots so it's really really tricky but listen fegels knows he knows how i feel about him and i, I i'd love to see jeff fegels get in i'd love to see sean landetta get in um they're deserving maybe they get maybe they get it to the point where they have a special teams category um, you know, we've got now a coaches category, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, so I, I, I always, and I've been t- telling the Hall of Fame people for years, give us some more spots, please. <laughs> Got to get some more spots. It's hard. But then those log jams do work themselves out. But, like, it's harder for special teamers. Um, that log jam is real, and it, it exists, and that, that's a tough one. So the Peyton Manning conversation this year took about, like, a second and a half, I imagine? I think it was 12 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's my sense, and, and, and that was my kickoff point for the next guy. My sense is that people on Twitter and fans really like to argue about whether or not Eli Manning is going to make the Hall of Fame. My feeling, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this, or maybe you don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer to this. That... I feel like the the questions about that on the outside are probably a little bit louder than they're gonna, than they're going to be when you guys meet inside that room and discuss his candidacy. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think that is going to be a a really tight process for Eli? Oh, I think it'll be a tight process for Eli. I, I think that that will take some doing. Um, I think there is skepticism uh, in the room. I think there will be skepticism in the room. I can't swear to it, but. In initial discussions with people, I, I think there is that. Uh, so, and and also look at this. Remember this. Now, Drew Brees is probably going to retire this year. So, if Eli Manning doesn't get in the first year, he's not he's not a surefire fire first ballot Hall of Famer. He's just not. So, then if Eli doesn't get in his first year, then you got Drew Brees coming in the room, All right? Then you got Philip Rivers coming in the room. Then you got other players coming in, in the room, and it's and it becomes problematic. So, you know, it's it's in Eli's best interest to have a fairly I don't want to say weak class. There's never a weak class, but if he's got a chance on that first ballot, it's going to be much easier early rather than you know if he gets into a logjam with others, it, it, it may take a while. Now, how do you measure this then, Bobby? I think this this was kind of my last question on the Hall of Fame process, and, and I thank you again for all your time. You know, you talked about the length of a career. You know, you mentioned Calvin Johnson. You know, not the longest career, but long enough. Tony Baselli, his mm-hmm. career got cut short by injury. Terrell Davis is the perfect example, right? Had three or four dominant years, but then knee injuries forced his retirement. Then you have a guy like Eli, right? Who you look at his regular season statistics, and they and they don't jump off the page, maybe as much as some other people. But obviously, his playoff success is second to none. So, how do you guys compartmentalize those different things? What counts more? What counts less? And how do you parse all those separate things to figure out who is most deserving? You know, that's a that's a really tough. Um, it's a good question. It's a tough situation because it's hard to compartmentalize and i don't think you you can entirely but you know eli's best thing going for him is that and he i think he said it himself he says i I want tom brady to keep winning keep winning keep winning because like my wins look even better i don't know if he said that or someone said that on his behalf um but his playoff you know performance has been remarkable and that's what's going to get him into the hall of fame uh more than anything else but I think, though, that 
you know, and it's up to, to me um, at, in explaining it that you got to put, the, especially the last part of Eli Manning's career, into context. He did not have a lot to work with. Now, yep. the argument will be, well, John Elway didn't either, and he got, and that's true. Dan Marino didn't. So, you know, I think they're better pure quarterbacks with limited resources. So they're, they're examples. But, you know, Eli is top ten in just about every important passing category at the time he retired. Um, I think the resume is is worth it. It's worthwhile. I think it's it's a Hall of Fame resume. So I think he will get in over time. It's just a matter of how much time that's going to take. Interesting. All right, two more questions, Bob. One basic question. How much different do you think this NFL offseason and season upcoming is going to be? I know Roger Goodell kind of did the, well, you know, we have to see how what the country looks like, which, by the way, I think is the exact right way, right way to approach it, to predict what August is going to look like in, in February. You might as well guess what the weather is going to be three months from now. Who the hell knows? But what's your feel? I guess we could talk about the sooner stuff because that's probably what you have a better feel for. Is this going to be pretty much a completely virtual offseason, you think, at least for the next four or five months through the draft, very similar to what we saw last year? Yes, I think there might be some in, in-person um, visits, but I think that for the most part it's going to be virtual for the, for the foreseeable future. Now, once vaccin- vaccination rates improve, once um, infection rates decline, which, knock on wood, you know, things are trending well in both situations. Um, but until that happens on a consistent basis, I think we'll see the virtual um, at least for the foreseeable future. But now, looking ahead to next season, you know, they got through a year. that was remarkable. I, I, I'm, I'm, I marvel at how they did it. Yeah, so do I. Getting through an entire season, not canceling any games, still getting to the playoffs on time, and getting through the Super Bowl. I, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned because I didn't expect it. You know, last March, Sean, it was like, it was no way. How are you going to do this? You know, Bob, it's funny. I thought that too. And then I, I got a chance to work in that building from September to November. Once they put in those extra, you know, extra strict things, that's when they kick people like me out of there. But right. what I what I saw for those three months and the way everyone had to adjust and the protocols, man, you cannot give the staffs, the players, the coaches enough credit because it sucked. I mean, it was not fun. Like the way, I mean, you like, I had a coach walking down the hall and it's like, you're like, you know, skulking in the building. You got to like pressure yourself up against the wall so you don't get, so you don't get within six feet of them. It was just, it was just such a, such a haul. And for the way everyone, you know, managed it and frankly, their families who also then couldn't go out and do anything, how they managed it. Uh, to me, I'm with you. I think it's absolutely amazing and, and, and a minor miracle, and everyone deserves a ton of credit for it. Yeah, there's, there's no question, John. And it was, it was incredible. Um, I had to deal a lot with, the, you know, on the writer's end, you know, dealing with the league and trying to get our protocols set, trying to get our writers in to watch practice, certainly from a distance. Um, and then don't forget, I remember in March and April, you know, you're looking at football, right? Football. They're breathing on each other. Yeah. Every play. How, how are they, how they going to do this? Well, we learned something very, very important that I don't know that there was a single transmission uh, player to player on the field of play. And I don't think so, we've had it in any major sport. We've, we we, we right. haven't seen that in soccer overseas. We haven't seen yep. it in the NBA so far. You wouldn't think it, but it just shows you how little we really know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And we learned a lot. They learned a lot. So I... You know, I, I think moving forward, the NFL will – I think there will be fans in the stands uh, for the 2021 season, not full not full houses. I think it will be distanced. But I think they will start to get fans back in buildings. And, you know, hopefully the transmission rates will be reduced and um, we're, we're hopefully going to be in a better spot. I, again, I, I'm optimistic that, that we can and will be because I think there is a concerted effort now to get everyone vaccinated – Two, it's not, it's not everywhere because there are some pockets of the country that just are acting like it's just the flu and it's not a big deal. But I think overall um, we're going to be in a, in a better position and that will help the NFL. God willing. And I asked one question for Fiegels. I have to ask one question for Detino now. At some point, Bob, are, is media, and maybe not this year, who knows when it's going to be, are we going to have media back in locker rooms during the week and after games on Sundays and, and, and get away from this virtual stuff at some point? Oh, I hope 
so at some point. Okay. I sure Good. as heck hope so at some point. Not, I don't think it'll happen in 2021. But, like I, I said on our Pro Football Writers meeting a couple weeks ago, this is a people business. This is a relationships business. Yeah. And when you take that away, we, we, did a, we collectively did a good job. I'm not patting ourselves. We just did. But you know what? We faked it, John. We all faked our way through. We did. <laughs> we did. You're right. right. I mean, it was, come on. Come on. So you can't – that's not a long – this is not a long-term strategy or solution. And it's in everyone's best interest that we, we get to interact more with players. Why? Because, you know, the owners – make money when their product gets attention and people cover it and get interested in it. You create the interest with more coverage and the like. You, you, you create more interesting coverage by getting to know these guys. And, you know, over time, it's, it's gotten re- reduced. You know, Jeff Fields goes back to a time when we could just hang out in a locker room and shoot the breeze. And um, you go back even further, John, during the, during the heyday of the, the Parcells Giants, we would go in the locker room for lunch for 45 minutes, talk to any assistant coach we wanted to for wow. as long as we wanted to. Bill Belichick would scribble plays on my notebook whenever I asked him to. <laughs> after, we'd watch every second of practice, oh, and we'd go into the locker room after practice for an indefinite period of time. Okay, there were couches in that locker room. We would have to sit down on the couches because we were standing for so long. That's out now. It's forty-five minutes tops at lunch, and that's it, fellas. You know, and you get twenty minutes in the start of practice. It's much more restrictive. But even that, you know, you you get to know players, and and you have to be in that position where you got to interact. And if you don't, um, you know, fine. You you want to make the rules like that, but I think you're going to not make as much money um, by creating, you know, making it difficult for for writers and for broadcasters to kind of get the story and build the interest. So it's in everybody's best interest to, you know, to bring it back to what it was. Give me one fun Bob Globber before we say goodbye. Bold prediction for the 2021 offseason. It could be Giants. It could be Jets. It could be a quarterback. It could be draft, free agency, league-wide. You name it, Bob. Give me one fun Bob Globber bold prediction over the next six months to a year. Well... Uh, bold prediction. It's not bold to say that Deshaun Watson won't be in Houston, is it? Uh, it's not bold to think that Sam Darnold won't be with the Jets. So I'll say Sam Darnold, uh, Sam Darnold to the San Francisco 49ers, and they make the playoffs this year. Does How's that, that mean Deshaun Watson to the Jets? Is that yeah, what you're saying? I, I think Deshaun Ooh. Watson would go to the Jets. Right. But even if Deshaun Watson didn't go to the Jets, they still draft a quarterback, and you know it's 50-50. But if, if Sam Darnold gets traded... He goes to San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan turns him into a playoff quarterback. <laughs> Jet fans' misery continues, and, you know, maybe the Giants make the playoffs. So I, there's your trifecta. I love that fit in San Francisco, <laughs> Bob. I'm with you. I think it would be a great fit for that kid. And I, and you know what? I still think he can play. I love him coming out of the draft. I am I'm still holding on to my property on Sam Darnold Island. I Hopefully I don't, Hopefully it doesn't get repossessed yeah, I like him. at He's some point. Great, but you know what? <laughs> Yeah, he's a pro's pro too, just in terms of his his uh, attitude and willingness to learn. So here's here's the Jets can actually be better off potentially keeping him, coaching him up, even if they draft another quarterback. Unless they get Deshaun Watson, then all bets are off. But if you keep Donald, develop him, you got a shot with him because he's still on his rookie contract. And same point, get him some help, just like the Giants will try to do yep. with Daniel Jones' offseason. Bob, this was a lot of fun. You gave us a lot of time, but it was a wide-ranging discussion. I think we had a lot of interesting stuff. I'm sure the fans are going to enjoy it. Thanks so much. Enjoy whatever an offseason is for someone like you, where, you, <laughs> where you're probably busier for the next four months than you were for the prior four. But enjoy it the best you can, okay? Thanks a lot, John. Great talking to you. That's Bob Glober from Newsday, their NFL reporter. We thank you for joining us on the most recent edition of the Giants Huddle Podcast. You can find it on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank on Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. For Bob Glober, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle. Stay safe out there, everybody.